0: Listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves into the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Each week, Roger is joined by Joe, Vince, and Marty.
1: And welcome to the latest episode of For the Lore coming to you on November 5th, 2018. How are you guys doing tonight?
0: So far, so good. It's uh we'll see how we'll see how things go.
2: Soar, But good. Joe, did you pick up uh Diablo 3? For the Switch? No. I mean, I already own the game for the PC. Okay. I, I, did I, know rep- you were just, I did repurchase Diablo 2, though. Oh, okay. I saw I saw you.
1: Uh, tweeting about Corpse Explosion. I wasn't sure which version of it you would, you were referring to.
2: <laughs> yeah, like, my decision came down to I really don't take my Switch with me anywhere, so, like, there really isn't much of a poise, uh, point between me having it on the PC and then rebuying it for something that's literally five feet to my right. So fair did, enough, fair enough.
3: Did you pick up just the normal edition? Because they don't have an HD remake for D2 yet. Just the normal edition. And it works fine on your system. Yeah. Okay, cool. I actually, I have the, um, when I bought D3, I bought the collector's edition, so I have that really nice Diablo skull that has the gem, the soul stone that's coming out of the forehead that's the USB drive, and it actually has a copy of D2 on it.
2: Yes, it does, and Lord of Destruction. I have that, actually. I just didn't have my CD keys. I have no clue where they went. I thought that they were on that thing or what's Nope, he... they came in a they came in a physical card that came with the
3: collector's oh, edition. Shit.
2: And I couldn't find it, so I was like, "You know what? Fuck it. It was 20, yeah. $20 to buy a new set of keys that were immediately paired with my battle.net account. Fine. A yeah. okay.
1: Yeah, and I know they've still been patching it up until I don't know, not that long ago. So yeah, it should still run on modern computers.
2: Yeah, it runs just fine. You just to, you still run the installers as administrator to get the installers to actually load onto your computer uh, because Windows 7, 8, 8.1, and 10 are really finicky about the old-school installer trying to install in your mar- modern, you know, program 86 folder. It still works, and it works fine. Uh, the only caveat is it will run only in 800 by 600 mode. That's the highest yeah. resolution it will run in. Um, but most modern monitors will stretch that uh, if you have the right input, which I do. So it literally it just looks like a big old honking Diablo 2 fun mess, which is great because I've been craving that dru- that druid for so long, and now I get to be a you know a lycanthrope and rip out things' throats, and it's it's super fun, it's still satisfying.
1: Well, enough about Blizzard. That was last week's episode. <laughs> We're not going back to that land just yet. But first of all, Marty, you've got some information for us about the most anticipated game of some point in the future.
0: We're talking Beyond Good and Evil 2. Not the uh, other game i will be talking about tonight. So uh, Beyond Good and Evil 2, uh, I've been in the research that I have done about this game. I have learned that uh, very, actually, first of you three gentlemen, How many of you played Beyond Good and Evil 1?
3: Sure did. Yep. Played it, but didn't finish it.
0: Okay. So I guess uh, the consensus is that Beyond Good and Evil 2 is a prequel because uh, more people were like me and didn't play the game. Uh, And they wanted to introduce people to this universe, to this world. And uh, then they just kept building and building and building. And now they have this gigantic game that's been coming soon for a very long time like the original beyond good and evil came out in 2003 had a best of uh, game of the year edition in 2004 and uh many iterations there and we are now if, centered
3: if i could point out um the uh, microsoft xbox access pass if i'm not mistaken gives you beyond good and evil the hd remake right now
2: it does oh huh.
3: so it's well, a good will... deal yeah
0: Download it like I've got the past. It's works like I didn't exactly. I was looking through the games the other
3: day and didn't see. I I'm not 100%, but I, I'm almost positive.
2: It, uh, it, you're not the first person to mention it like this past week, Roger. So I'm confident it's there.
3: You're gonna hear a car right now because I'm turning on my Xbox. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I was watching a couple videos from 20. 20- 17 and from 2018 talking about what is going on and beyond good and evil in terms not just of the development cycle but also in terms of what the game is going to be doing and look like and also I just wanted to go over a little bit of the lore of Sector 3 um, and how it was settled basically the idea was that a majority of uh, the colonists are of uh, East Asian and South Asian descent uh, because China and India will each be close to 1 billion people. It, well, China's already over 1 billion and India's not far behind. And they will be leading the colonization efforts in the world of be good and evil too. Uh, and as the colonists land in sector three, uh, it turns out that they're all sterile. That's where the cloning and the hybrids come in. Uh, so all of the first generation of uh, the settlements in sector three are by clones and hybrids in an attempt to deal with the the sterility issue. And uh, that's why you can do such cool things like build your own space pirate who will be half human being, half monkey, which uh, I would like mine to have the British accent like in the trailers, because that seems awesome. Um, However, if I'm feeling particularly bloodthirsty, why not a space shark? Because space sharks sound cool. Uh, The prequel will deal with the fact and lead up into the events of Beyond Good and Evil. Uh, In 2017, uh, the rumor was, or the the talk was, that the protagonist of the original game would not be in Beyond Good and Evil 2. Except in uh, E3 2018, Uh, the nemesis is the the heroine of Beyond Good and Evil, number one. Uh, The mysterious Jade is also the nemesis and how her redemption arc happens, I don't know. But we're gonna get one. There's also some sort of weird alien artifact, which its name is escaping me because they have a, It's changed between videos. Anyway, uh, you will be able to build your own space pirate. Your spaceships will be customizable. You will start at the lowest level of uh, pirate slash street urchin, where you're going to be like a delivery person. Running pizzas or space pizzas or more likely dumplings uh, because some of the <laughs> textures that they were showing off were like um, these gorgeous looking boughs and uh, uh, shrimp shumay, which um, I would like. They they looked, they looked actually really good. <laughs> <What> the- <laughs> Seriously, they looked good. What if you are a fan of Chinese food and you see these things, like, oh, that looks like something I would get at the, the fancy Chinese join up the street for me. Anyway uh you will be building your own character building your own text uh your own fleet and there is a multiplayer uh element to this game where you will be teaming up with other space pirates and there will also be uh system systemic events wherein ubisoft will be changing the game worlds because it is a fully functioning uh sector of space with uh, its own celestial bodies and movements and relatively accurate with they're promising no load times, um, but I have read that so many times for so many games. I don't believe anybody when they say no yeah, load times. Yeah, but it,
3: It's got to be coming. At some point, there has to be a developer that is working on this in a way that is, I don't want to say revolutionary because we are getting pretty good in terms of load times right now. But advanced enough that it is barely noticeable like we're getting very close to that point right now
2: i was gonna say cd project red's pretty much at that doorstep yeah
3: also it's not part of the uh past i don't know if it ever was i was almost positive it was but i'm looking and it's not listed in there
0: oh well that stinks yeah that's disappointing but that also means i have more time to work woohoo um What's interesting about Beyond Good and Evil too is just the sheer amount of customization that they are throwing at everybody, uh, where you'll be making your pirate, your ship, your game. Uh, it sounds like you're going to be able to make your own, I don't know if you are making your own factions, but definitely you'll be hanging out with other space pirates. And part of what the content will be is building in extra from the stuff that other people do. Uh They're talking also about like destructible elements wherein if you blow up a a police dreadnought because you're a pirate, you should blow up a police dreadnought. Uh, Parts of it will land and destroy parts of the city, blow out storefronts. You're not going to knock down any buildings so far, but hopefully one day you would. And uh, that will that effect will linger until the game world cleans it up as it would probably be like, I don't know. Depends on how the planet's economy works and if they've scripted that or if it's just like, no, for a ship that size, it's going to take 30 days. Uh, one other thing that I found super interesting was that they are they're really hell-bent on connecting both game worlds. Like, uh, they are adamant that this is the same universe, the same people, we're just at a different point in time, and we will see why there are no space pirates by the end of this game and why in beyond good and evil one when you were exploring caves you would find caches of the mythical space pirates so all in all uh they're promising a lot and the the more i read about this about their universe the more i'm intrigued like uh, the city that we see in the majority of the screenshots is uh the holy city of Ganesha, uh based on the Southeast Asian Indian deity Ganesh, who is a god of luck and fortune and a half dozen other things. But like it's not a it's a colonial aspect, but not focused on like, you know, the French colony in space, which I have a, you know, that's what we tend to see in games these days. Uh so by extrapolating from current events and going into the year basically the 25th century they're building this really convincing game world that seems like it would be a lot of fun i just kind of worry that they're they're promising you know promising everything in the kitchen sink and they will not be able to deliver um not just because this game has taken 15 years to develop but also because uh gamers are fickle and sometimes they uh Sometimes they change their mind about something like midstream. So I'm excited. What do you got? Are you guys going to be picking this game up? Or are you just waiting? Like, what's your uh, anticipation regarding Beyond Good and Evil 2? Marty, I've been waiting 15
1: years. Yeah. You think I'm going to wait one minute longer than necessary?
2: <laughs> I was about to <laughs> it's say, it's you don't pay attention on the show, Marty.
0: Jeez. I, Bert. I don't pay attention in real life. Like, why would I pay attention on the show? Like, that's... I'm pretty That's sure Vince cons- and I are yeah. going to be
2: competing to see who can get to it first. Oh wow! Will you guys be
0: pre-ordering it when it's when the pre-orders open? Likely, yeah. Well, I, I, I still have my strict no pre-order rule.
3: Depends on the bonus. <laughs> Depends on what they <laughs> offer as a pre-order That's bonus, fair. because if it's worth enough, I would consider it. Because while I didn't finish it, I really did enjoy the first one. And I'm really curious how they're going to weave that lore into a prequel. Because like a prequel is, some people may think it's a a shortcut. It allows them to do whatever they want, kind of in terms of the, 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 the people, the area and whatnot. Because anything can change at any point. However... There has to be some solid story beats, some anchors that you can latch on to that you can recognize from the game that you love because otherwise there isn't that emotional connection to this and that's what they're banking on. So I'm really curious what those are going to be. What are the tethers that they're saying, these are tenants of this IP, we have to make sure that we stick with this. These are characters that are important, be it their legacy or whatever they influence in the world moving forward. So it's those kind of things that are, um, for me at least, that I'm looking forward to because they're not just the story in and of itself, but it's that next level of creativity that is uh, not just referencing what we already know, but weaving it into this story. I, I adore when that is done effectively, and I, I'm curious if they're going to pull that off with this.
2: I'm, I'm actually really happy that they're going the prequel route with it because I didn't want a sequel, because I felt like the first game had a very good story and ha- ended in a, an okay place. But the biggest thing that I always wanted to know about it is more about how we got to that point. Exactly, yeah. Because there's so many there's so many gaps, there's so many things that, like, even when you finish the game, even when you, like, 100% it, which I, I did, you don't get a complete, like, world story. And I'd love to see more of that, and if this is giving me that, I'm good. Yeah. I'm really good. It goes back to the thing that we've said time and time again on this
1: podcast and many others that beyond good and evil 2 being a prequel is going to follow the show. Don't tell rule because the big questions at the end of the first game revolved around Jade. Like we knew she was special, but we weren't sure how. And if they jump straight to a sequel, they would have had to tell the story of why she's special. Whereas in this game, we actually see it firsthand Mm -hmm. and then we get the full encompassing story for that character and can then move over move on to a proper prequel because this will be the greatest selling game of all time and we're not going to have to wait another 20 years for the next one
3: <laughs> God I hope that's you're right. actually a really good point though it is because again it's it's the developers were intelligent in terms of they looked at what made the initial the, the first game successful not just in terms of monetary value but in terms of Because it wasn't. Because, well, what the fans latched onto that carried it forward, that this many years later, it's still fucking relevant that people still care about this IP enough to be excited about this. So look at what that is and determine, okay, well, how do we play with that? And like you said, in this case, it wasn't to take that story and move it forward, but rather to explain it more. Before
0: hand off the reins to someone way more qualified in the genre than I, I did want to bring up one interesting thing that I found when I was looking into Beyond Good and Evil and its creation. The original Beyond Good and Evil was inspired by a glitch in an early Rayman game where the player would jump through and onto some sort of ship and then just fly around the game world. And the developers, specifically Mike Ansel, thought that they needed to come up with a game that exploited that idea of exploration and flying and breaking rules, which I find to be really cool and just a, a nice, uh, nice touchstone for this IP and the idea of exploration and rule breaking. Right, yeah, definitely,
1: definitely something to look forward to in the future. But going from space pirates to space ninjas... Warframe has got a big week ahead of it. Uh, They recently...
3: (laughs) If I may, before you start. Yes. I'm sitting down on the couch with my my son, and this was while Karen was away for a while. So we were watching different shows, and we were shooting the shit a lot about different games and whatnot. And we started talking about different things. And, of course, Warframe came up. (laughs) 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 I did not realize that my son... Adores this game and plays it with his friends a ton. And what proceeded to happen... This was actually while we were watching Final Space. Which, FYI... If you haven't watched Final Space... Fucking watch this series. It's brilliant. It's, it's like 10 episodes on Netflix. So fucking good. Um, but what was funny was that I was saying... Every time this game comes up on the podcast, I end up feeling like I have to start playing this game. It is literally exactly what I'm looking for from a developer that respects their community. I should be playing this. And at the end of our conversation, I was like... Okay, you convinced me. I'll I'll just, and he wasn't even trying. And I'm like, (laughs) all right, I'll, I'll, he he convinced you by
1: just letting you talk. (laughs) Yeah.
3: And I'll, I'll I'll install. I still haven't fucking played it, but I legit am going to get into this game. And it may be when it comes to the Switch, because it'll allow me to do a just clean start fresh with everybody else on that console, because it is coming to the Switch.
1: Yeah, like I love the game but I don't play it terribly frequently. It's I I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that it's a free game and it's kind of always going to be there. So when a new game comes out, I'll play that, and when I finish that, I'll go back and play Warframe for a week or two. And it, it's it's a great game to just hop back into because there's just so much shit to do. Like looking at it as I have to do all this, it's kind of daunting as as to how much content is in the game. So it's it's more of a nice vacation in between bigger games for me. And it fills that role perfectly because even the mission structure, you can hop in and out of a mission in five to 10 minutes and, you know, get some loot and start crafting something and then go about your business doing something else. So it, it's, it's not a game I'll ever play hardcore. Like it's not going to be, you know, a destiny 10 hours sitting in front of my TV, grinding for loot. And that's fine. It's perfect for what it does. And there are people who play it like that though. As for what's coming to it, uh, we recently got a look at the latest frame joining the Menagerie, and that is Garuda. uh, Seen as a sister frame to Valkyr, one of the uh, long-standing frames. Valkyr is kind of like the uh, Wolverine of uh, Warframe, and so far she goes into like primal rages and just wrecks everything around her. Valkyr keeps that same concept of blood and gore, but in a much scarier way because it's just a resource to her. You look at what Garuda's abilities are and just look at the frame herself. She's got these awesome, like, spiked wing talons on the backs of her forearms, just menacing as hell. And her her first ability involves her just jumping up to an enemy, grabbing it in her hands, and literally ripping it in half and sucking all the blood out of it.
3: Like you do, and sucking the blood out. <laughs> Explain how this makes sense in a world with warframes like with these mech uniforms. Why would it need blood? Uh,
1: because you form a shield out of the blood. Of course, you of, as of course,
0: as <laughs> like you, you do.
1: <laughs> as you form the shield, and the shield absorbs damage, it creates a large. Blood bomb that floats around with her, <laughs> and then she can then cast the bomb and return all the enemy's damage back to them.
0: I mean, this is just what we use interns for at the Cook County Juvenile Court: blood shields and blood bombs. It makes total sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, nice. Moving on from there, her um,
1: she has a really nice support ability that that allows her to like heal her teammates, very nice and friendly, uh, by essentially um, going Vlad the Impaler on an enemy and just kind of creating a corpse totem in the middle of the battlefield that emits an aura that uh, steals health from the enemy and gives it to her friends.
3: <laughs> You're trying to sell it a little too 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 well there.
1: <laughs> All right, going on from there, uh, she actually has a, another one where she can drain her own health in exchange for energy to power her skills, and that actually works with the, the passive of the frame, which she deals more damage as her health gets lower and also uh, and, and essentially like an AOE of whirling talons of death can come around her for her ultimate. And she can just stride across the battlefield. As they say uh, in the development, she just kind of floats through the battlefield with the, the swirling blades around her, but they've realized it's a lot more thematic and just kind of cool if she just does a slow menacing strut instead of floating. So they're going to add that in before the suit launches which will be this week because Garuda will be launching on PC alongside the big Fortuna update the second large open world update that allows players to interact with the denizens below the surface of Venus downtrodden and essentially indentured servitude to a, a large corporation the uh, the Tenos will be going to uh, help these people and free them from their bonds and return Venus to A more balanced state as not just uh, the economy, but the ecology of the planet is starting to run amok. So this is their next, this is their second large open world update. Uh, The first one was the Plains of Eidolon. And with this one in Fortuna, they said it's three to four times larger than the Plains of Eidolon was. But very much, it's a lot more packed as well. Uh, the, the issues they had with the Plains of Eidolon was that players got there, especially because you can get there very early on in the game. But if you're not high leveled, there's really not a whole lot to do. So it, it felt kind of just bland and it wasn't a good first impression on players. And even then, like, it was a, a large open space, but it, it was. It, it wasn't really uh they weren't using it very well. So with Fortuna, they're they're filling it with a lot more interesting things to do, a lot more enemies to fight, things to explore, uh, awesome jumps to go off of your new Hubbard, uh fish that you can spear fish, uh, all kinds of fun stuff to do. And, and they're also trying to limit the amount of grinding involved with that. Uh, the first Planes of Eidolon had a lot of like rep grinding to get stuff. And as they said, Warframe is a free-to-play game. There's always going to be a grind associated because that's their primary business model is you can pay to skip the grind in a lot of cases if you want. So the grind's never going to go away, but they're going to make it a lot more bearable, they say, in the new update. So, yeah, Fortuna will be out this week on PC and uh, in a couple months on the console versions.
3: I thought the console versions were ahead of the PC version.
1: no has always been the primary and uh, consoles get shortly thereafter
3: what are you playing on PS4 that's what I thought how do you find the controls in comparison to destiny
1: uh night and day like uh, for first of all it's a third person game as opposed to first person and the big thing about warframe is its movement uh like there's a the primary movement ability in the game is called bullet jumping where you sprint slide and then when you jump out of a slide you do so in like a corkscrew pattern
3: <laughs> justin was telling me about this yeah i was that gives no you a burst of speed way i can do this
1: that you have to that you then continue with and then you can then follow that up with a, a double jump so essentially it's just parkouring your way and flying through space in in these levels it's It's very (laughs) movement-oriented. I never
3: never thought it would be parkour that keeps me out of Warframes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's by no means a necessity, but uh, especially given the way some of the levels are built, uh, you'll save yourself a lot of time doing it. And and for me, it works a lot better on a controller than it would on a keyboard. I really prefer controllers for third-person games. And it's... It's it just fits for me on a console as plus as a PS Plus member you get some free goodies.
3: It's actually coming out on the Switch for anybody who's interested on the twentieth, so I'll be checking it out.
1: Yeah, you got nothing to lose. It's free. Yeah, exactly. And then continuing with that theme of uh, space ninjas, we got a lot going on with Anthem over the past couple of weeks because. Uh, They literally call one of their their javelins a space name, so they they just. uh, Here's the interesting thing about Anthem: when it was showed off at E3, it kind of landed like a wet turd. It wasn't very impressive. There there wasn't a lot to really sink your teeth into, and I think BioWare kind of recognized that, and ever since then they've been very open with the community as far as uh, communicating with them, answering as many questions as they can, without, of course, giving away everything. Gotta have some mystery at the end. At going so far as last week on the Anthem subreddit, they posted the uh, the results of their first internal alpha test, which is not a thing most companies will do. They keep that stuff secret and they would move on. So they just finished up their first internal alpha uh, a week so ago. And they talked about you know their findings and how they're adjusting things going forward. So far as uh, they're they're adjusting the loot to make it feel more rewarding. As far as drop rates and consistency, uh, they wanted to keep the game very simple at the beginning by not introducing too many different enemies and too much uh, different stuff to take in. But the players found that was uh, it wasn't very gripping. Like after five levels of killing rats or you know the anthem equivalent of rats, <laughs> it, it just you need that strong start in your game to really grab the characters or the players. So they're going to be adjusting that, adding more variety as well as uh, tinkering with the difficulty. And finally, just adding some new systems and UI to make grouping easier. They felt it was a little unintuitive. Uh, You can invite somebody to your party and not really sure if they were there or not, because it just, you know, the game obviously isn't done yet. And uh, that's just stuff they were missing. So it's nice to see that, They're communicating the actual development of their game with the community, which is not something you see from a huge, big budget tentpole game like Anthem.
3: You have to wonder how much their influence because of the last Mass Effect game and the lack of success that they otherwise would have presumably expected that now they're really going to lean in hard to what is expected versus what they want to put out.
1: And also as a counterpoint to to Bungie, I think that they realized how Bungie kept too much of that stuff close. And once it was finally out there in the public, they couldn't do anything about it afterwards. Right. Going along with that, they had a, as far as I know, a surprise stream last week with a couple of the developers the actual like lead producers of the game sitting down and playing through some of the open world stuff. And as I said, this is still alpha very unfinished like they're even joking about the bugs that they were coming across and it's (laughs) like the ui still isn't right there's like just like a pink block where there should be an icon but they, they address it like yeah it's alpha this is this is part of the the development process we just haven't finished the graphics for some of this stuff yet uh but i have to say the game looks i mean the actual like visuals of the game are still stunning but it looks a lot more interesting than it did in those first gameplays.
3: Really? Mm-hmm.
1: Because that that first gameplay demo we were given at E3 was very sanitized. They had you know the, that god awful like pre, pre-recorded fake voice chat stuff, and it just it didn't seem very engaging. Like they just wanted to show off like. He'd look how cool this uh, armor looks and look at these great environments, but they didn't really show off the game. So seeing these two guys actually playing the game and talking with each other like actual gamers would be talking when they're playing the game. I, at one point, they accidentally triggered two world events at once and it was just absolute chaos for about 10 minutes and it actually looked fun, which is the first time this game has looked fun to me.
3: Huh. But That's a, the question that I have though, is it... Is it because it's fun in a Destiny 2 kind of way or Destiny way where it's fun because you're with a group of friends and it's the events that are causing it to be fun? Or is the game fun because the story is engaging and keeps you in and makes you want to continue playing? It's the old story versus sandboxes kind of thing. Mm -hmm.
1: Unfortunately, we still don't know too much about the story, but I can say, for me, fun in so far as big mech suits with guns and incredibly that's, that's all fabulous powers laying down uh, ordnance across a battlefield. So, yeah, So In the stream, they showed off uh, some of the open world aspects, uh, where they say the, the open world instances, when you go into them, they're randomized every time you go out. So you're not going to have the same enemy placements, you're not going to have the same side quests available. Uh, and it's, uh, it, it's definitely going to feel more dynamic. Uh, there's different difficulty levels that you can select. Uh, in this one, they said they were playing on the freelancer difficulty, which is kind of the medium difficulty, but uh, I don't know if they were covering for themselves or, <laughs> or what, but they said, yeah, uh, it turns out they were kind of underleveled for the content, uh, but, you know. And I think that just might have been some uh, dev speak for uh, we we kind of messed up and wanted to cover for that. Uh, yeah, yeah but that's actually fucking good. If yeah. you can
3: see them screwing up and getting their ass handed to them, that's when you know it's a real fucking video and yeah, not one of and, these but, stage but things.
1: It wasn't just them screwing up and getting their asses kicked. It was them screwing up, getting their ass, their asses kicked, and then realizing, okay, how can we approach this problem and still win the fights? Nice. And they pulled that off.
3: Nice.
0: Did it look fun while they were getting their asses kicked? That's the big question I have. Oh
1: yeah, because they were still flying around. like, we'll get into a lot of the more like technical gameplay aspects uh, as we go on here. But yeah, it still looked like even when you're running from a fight, it seems like it's a, a pretty fun way of running away. Uh, there's uh, multiple factions we the associated with the story. They're gonna be giving you your side quests. You know, kind of like in Destiny, how. Uh, getting missions from Zavala or from Failsafe and what have you, uh, the world still looks fantastic. Although I have to say it still felt a bit empty to me. It it seemed like the enemies, uh, aside from the wildlife, were only uh, as they were dictated by the mission. Uh, I would like to see that kind of kick up a little bit, if you will. Uh, because it was just like, okay, we're traveling from mission section to mission section. It was really cool to see like the game going by and them flying through the space. But it didn't seem very dynamic at the same time. I'd like to see them work more. more. What they showed off as far as gameplay, they showed off a lot of the the flights. And that essentially you have three different modes of transportation in the game. You have ground, just straight up running. Uh, you can hover. And then you have just straight on flight as well. And you can really switch between the different modes on the fly. Like there were, there was one point where they're on the ground, they were getting surrounded. So the guy just looked straight up and just supermaned off into the sky, spiraling away from bullets. It looked, it looked cool as shit. And then once, <laughs> once he was at a safe distance, he was able to switch to hover mode and start shooting back down. And then, uh, you know, Iron Man fist slam into the ground, into the enemies. Like there's a lot of dynamic stuff with the flight system. It looks really cool. Uh, like uh, straight up, like barrel rolls, dodging in the midair. Uh, as they say, you uh, you go in and you can pick a javelin for its play style, but then customize the specific abilities for how you want to approach battle and what role you want to play. Uh, as they say, each suit has three gear slots to customize their ability. You have five slots divided, uh, or I'm sorry, you have five options for each of two slots, which are going to be your primary offensive or defensive abilities, as well as a third slot with two support options. And they specifically said at launch, which uh, leads me to believe that they're going to further enhance abilities through DLCs or, or what have you in the future. Uh, in addition to that, each, each uh, javelin has uh, a specific melee ability and an ultimate attack as well. You have two different weapon slots that you can uh, fill, but from what I've seen in the gameplay... Shooting stuff is not your primary way of interacting with enemies. It's skill use is much, much more common. It feels like um, what's the gameplay mode in Death, Marty, where like your skill cooldowns are super low.
0: Um, you're, but they're super low.
1: Yeah, the the PVP mode where you're just like throwing all your shit around all the time.
0: Oh, uh, oh gosh, uh, I don't remember. Yeah, well, it's that. <laughs>
1: Uh, The skill cooldowns, uh, from what we saw here, were really, really low, where you can't just spam your abilities, but you're not also waiting five minutes in between chucking grenades. Uh, You have uh, your shields and your health that you have to manage. Shields can regenerate over time. They also said uh, certain frames will have ways of uh, restoring their shields uh, additionally, whereas health uh, is only regained from picking up health orbs that enemies drop. So it's, it's a game that's all about forward momentum in combat. You If you just try to play defensively, eventually you're going to run out of health. You got to start killing enemies, get health back, and to keep moving forward, because there is also no healing abilities between any of the javelins in the game. Wait, what?
3: Does it heal over time, though?
1: Your shields regenerate over time. Your health does not.
3: So what, you have to head back to the hub to heal up?
1: Or you just kill enemies and get health drops.
3: Okay, right. Okay, yeah. so it's kind of like what they tried to do with D3 of keeping you continuously moving and killing things to heal yourself. Yes. Gotcha. That's actually not a bad way to do it. hmm uh,
1: And they said there's going to be a future stream sometime soon to show off more of the the customization abilities as well as the, the loot stuff. This was just... uh, uh It was about a 45-minute stream of just showing off some of the combat, showing off some of this the javelin abilities. And I think for our first real look at the game. For me, this is actually pretty successful. Uh, a lot more people got hands-on stuff because the game was also at Paris Games Week a week or two ago, whenever that was. And uh, some of content creators have been getting uh, special like behind the scenes looks uh, from EA and more detailed stuff. Uh, one of the YouTube channels I subscribe to actually had videos breaking down all four of the javelins and their abilities, uh, not in great detail, but kind of what we can expect. Uh, So, running through those real quick, uh, you have the Interceptor, their Space Ninja, uh, which is, its playstyle is built around mobility. It has uh, double-bladed daggers that it can duel with. Very, very flashy in combat, jumping around, bouncing around. Uh, Marty, this is going to be your
0: Hunter class. Yeah, that, I did want to, they were, I did watch a couple videos, and they're like, we're not going to show you the Interceptor thing. I'm like, well, then, damn it, I don't want to see it!
1: No, I I got to see some interceptor and it's 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 really cool. It's very it's very hit and run. Uh, As I said, there's different ways you can build it. Uh, In the videos I saw, they were building it for like a melee combat, like run in, assassinate a couple enemies, and then just get the hell out, and then come around from another angle, like sticking and running and just constantly on the move and constantly keeping the enemies disoriented. But they also said you can go a traditional like sniper type build where you get a couple shots off, and then you can use your mobility to relocate to a different vantage point, stuff like that. Uh, Looking at some of the abilities they get, um, they have a number of glaive abilities that turn their daggers into ranged weapons uh, with various effects, explosions, cryogenics, what have you. Uh, Then they also have an entire tree of upgrades uh, for their strike abilities, which essentially, essentially turns your entire body into a weapon through various acrobatic attacks. Uh, like spinning elbows and just uh, really cool seeing them moving through a battlefield. And like I said, with the low cooldowns, it's slash, stab, jump, fly, elbow, drop. Like it looked really cool seeing it in action. Uh you can combo some of your melee abilities to like activate debuffs, uh, put various uh, status effects on the enemies. And their ultimate is essentially straight up Strider um, mode. Uh, supercharged dash between enemies, s- stab everything. It's I think it was called Assassin's Blade. So it's not my type of playstyle, but it's really going to appeal to a lot of people. Nice. Uh, they also had the Storm Javelin, which is very heavily involved in the fight, the flight gameplay. Uh, most notably because uh, the whole thing with the storm is it, they gave tiny little bits of the background lore. It was actually like an enemy. Uh, development that uh, the the survivors at the fort took and uh, repurposed for their own means. And it channels elemental energy through the various seals that are on the, uh, the arm of the suit. And as such, it can channel uh, essentially like an electromagnetic barrier. And so you're flying through the battlefield like magneto, almost. <laughs> but if you're on the ground, obviously that doesn't work. So you're very vulnerable on the ground. Whereas when you're floating in the air, you have this extra layer of armor and survivability, and it's it's focused around flying around the battlefield and raining down these elemental AOE powers on the enemies. Uh, so like they showed various like fire and ice bombs, uh, support abilities like a uh, called the wind wall, which is like the like a titan barrier from Destiny, but gigantic. Uh, Lots of cool stuff. They showed the ultimate, which just looks ridiculous. It sets off three detonations between fire, ice and lightning. And then to finish it off, it drops meteors on top of each one of those areas of effect. So it's absolutely devastating. And this one really impressed me. It looked a lot of fun just flying around the battlefield, throwing lightning and everything. Uh, More stuff about the Colossus. This is the only javelin in the game that can equip heavy weapons so like lmgs grenade launchers that sort of stuff that's going to be exclusive to the colossus Uh, with trade-off that you don't get to get the wimpy little weapons like pistols and smgs which okay it's a good trade-off for me uh they showed like the melee attack on this thing is amazing it you know ground pounds into the ground they said it can knock over larger enemies that can create combo effects for your various uh teammates and the gear on this one is really cool because essentially, you just pick... You you have a couple uh, attach points on the Colossus. Uh, you have one with your shoulder-mounted gun and one with your wrist-mounted gun. So you get mortars, flamethrowers, guns, Absolutely amazing. Uh, one of their support skills is a straight-up taunt. Aggro mechanics are going to be a part of this game as well. So there's a lot of uh, working with your team, uh, You know, getting the Colossus in place, distracting the enemies. Uh, there's really a lot of... Uh, positional stuff that they showed off with various, uh, again, AOE effects, being able to open up the enemy for the interceptors coming in. If they pull this off, it could be a lot of fun. Uh, they showed off the ultimate for this one, Siege Cannon. Just giant-ass fucking gun. Colossus Colossus, and Storm both really impressed me. I, I, I... If I play this game, which it's trending more in that direction now than it was a few months ago, uh, those will be the ones I gravitate to.
3: I kind of like that the... the there is such a difference in terms of the gameplay between the mm-hmm. them, which means that as they inevitably come out with other ones, as long as it's reasonably priced and as long as we don't feel like we're being gouged, this is one of those situations where, uh, yeah, I can see myself picking something up to help support them again, as long as I don't feel like I'm getting screwed in the deal. But if it provides that big a difference in terms of gameplay, then it's it's worth it
1: and the big thing to point out here is remember your one character has access to all four javelins at any time you just pick yeah. your load out when you're leaving town so if you decide you want to be the big stompy boy in the front you can do that next mission you can be lightning wizard
3: that's what i mean and then later as more come out which undoubtedly more will then you can have yet more different gameplay experiences for mm-hmm. ho- hopefully a reasonable price
1: Right. And then finally, they showed off the Ranger, which is the balanced one. Uh, their gear, uh, they have smaller wrist-mounted weapons, uh, so more uh, more small-scale explosives than the, we saw with the Colossus, but also they specialize in grenades and, and uh, various effects with that, like freezing enemies, uh, creating acid pools, that sort of stuff. And their support abilities are very AoE team-oriented, laying down either a healing field or a defense boost or uh, an offensive boost as well. So uh, Rangers, they're kind of like, what's his name from Borderlands? Um, Roland or Axton, where they're not the flashy characters, but they're so damn good at the same time. They're just really solid. You're always going to want one on your team because of the amount of utility that they give to you. Absolutely. And their ultimate is the uh crazy uh, multi-target missile battery that they love to show off because it's pretty impressive, locking onto 15 enemies and shooting homing rockets at all of <laughs> them.
0: That is a lot of fun.
1: So, yeah, I'm actually really interested to see what more we can find out about this game over the next months. Uh It's slated to come out in the spring, I believe, so going to be moving from alpha into beta pretty shortly, I would imagine. We'll get, just continue to get more and more looks at what they're doing here. And like I said, not very interested at all at first, but the more I find out, the more interested I am. So if they can continue on this trend, this might be, this might be a purchase for me at this point. So Marty, uh, why don't you wrap us up here with some Star Trek stuff?
0: So, yeah, I was minding my own business And uh, something popped into my feed about uh, a Star Trek mobile game set in the Kelvin. Uh, So coming November 29th, uh, mobile game publisher Scopely will be creating a free-to-play Star Trek fleet commander game, which is you build your your star base, uh, you fly around and blow up Nausikens, and then you join either the alliance... the alliance oh my god the federation the uh klingons or the romulans um i watched about 20 minutes of gameplay uh this afternoon during my lunch break um and it what's interesting about it is that it is a star trek game um there is like a, a building and controlling your territory aspect of it and upgrading your your ship it is set in the um you know in new trekverse which I don't necessarily have a problem with it. Uh, but it's very much a, a, the mobile style of game that I'm not a big fan of anymore, uh, where it's like, you, you know, do a mission, wait a couple minutes, and then you can Mm. do another mission. Um, anything that happened, there's like a couple of, you know, bells and whistles that you can buy that will, or that you can earn. It looks like you can grind out everything, which I do respect that at the very least. Um, but it will be. Uh, you can get some items that will reduce the time. I did see one thing in the the video about a uh, some sort of you know insert Trek speak thing here that would co- uh, cut your cooldown time from five minutes to no time at all, um, and it was quote unquote free. Uh, but it was just given our discussion of mobile games last week, and um, I don't, don't want to revisit that. But I just. I'm on the lookout for other mobile games. And this is a company that has put out uh, Yahtzee with Buddies, uh, The Walking Dead Road to Survival, and then a couple of Wheel of Fortune games and a Looney Tunes game. And the
2: WWE Clash of Champions.
0: Yes, uh, I had just... uh, I did not... Yeah, I did not mention that. Thank you, Joe.
3: See, this is one of those where it's, it's interesting in terms of a discussion, but I... Even I, as a massive fan of the Kelvin timeline for Star Trek, I'm, I'm not going to bother playing this because it just does not look like a very good tablet game. Like, one of the things that we were talking about with, with Diablo that I, I was pointing out is how there are a number of ridiculously good tablet games right now. Um, I could be wrong, I don't think this is one of them. And and again, I could be wrong, but man, this didn't this did not look that engaging to me at all. And again, I'm a a huge fan of the Kelvin timeline to the point where uh when the rumors were coming out that the fourth in the series would not be coming out, I was researching that shit <laughs> and watching videos and learning all kinds of shit about it that to, to see the whys, and, and now I understand. Like, even to the point of when I was reading the the information about this game, the moment I saw—shit, what's his name? The guy who—Simon Pegg. The moment I saw the, 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 a, the cartoon image of Simon Pegg as Scotty, I was like, whoa, that's the Kelvin timeline. And I wasn't expecting that. And then I was reading a little bit more about it. Like, they're working with— cbs for this not the roddenberry group that owns the rights for it but with cbs and that means that they only have access to the kelvin timeline specifically like that again i've watched too much shit about this and i'm sorry if i'm boring <laughs> people but there's specific rights in terms of what they can use so when i was reading this and it was talking about you can make your dream team, quote unquote, with like original Kirk and different things like that. I'm like, they don't have the rights to that. So I'm curious how this is going to work or if it's different rights because it's a game versus the TV show or movies. But yeah, that the Kelvin timeline is really fucked up in terms of the rights. And it's very much the rights that have also fucked them so that they can't succeed with it. Uh, moving forward so i i would love to see this succeed because again i adore the kelvin timeline um but it just doesn't look like that good a tablet yeah. game in my opinion
0: no i i agree with you on this like i was intrigued because like you get to command your ship and yeah. it's strategy. but i watched the gameplay and i'm like that's it like it reminded me of like uh, some of those silly Marvel games, or like not, but pretty Pokemon Go, Pokemon clone games, where it's like you fight something, then you come back a couple minutes later because you can't do anything while the timer's going down. And that's not fun
3: anymore. No, no. And honestly, I think we're going to, and, I, and when I say we, I, I should do something for maybe our next episode because. If your goal was based on last week's discussion to find something engaging that would be good to show that, hey, you can actually do a good Diablo game on a a tablet or a phone, Um, I I should do something to suggest some other games because there are justifiably some spectacular mobile games right now uh, for people to play that are either, yes, free to play with some DLC if you want it, or a very reasonable cost in my opinion and and there's a lot of good shit that we can we can talk about that's not this in my opinion
0: oh i i added it because i thought it would be oh no getting, no and i, like, I, I appreciate enough.
3: yeah yeah i agree and and it's one of those where like i i i think we're probably on par in terms of appreciation of starfleet and the idea of the 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 uh, an appreciation of the shows, even when they're not even good. <laughs> so it's one yeah. of those where um, I looked at this and I was like, this is awesome. I will want to play this because it's Star Trek and I, a tablet thing kind of like bridge crew. I was in before I knew it was good. Just look, luckily it was good, but this after further study, I'm like, Oh fuck. It, it probably looks like it's going to be shit, which is again yeah. too bad because I would love to see more with that Kelvin timeline.
1: I despise timer-based mobile games. Like yeah. it's it's the most uninteresting possible way you can try to take my money. It's just by making me wait cuz I'll I'll just delete your game and go play something else. So uh Roger, you had some stuff for DC Universe about Aquaman? Is he is he cool again? No, he's not. Never, okay.
3: never fucking been cool. Never will be cool. And I apologize to the voice actor for Aquaman in DC universe online. It did not sound that good. There's there's, there's a new uh, chapter that's going to be coming out for DC universe online. And it is Atlantis. It's coming out just a month before Aquaman's going to be coming to the theaters. Not coincidentally, but what's cool is that, um, once again, they're, they're doing a really good job with this game where you get the, the chapters. If you are fans of the comic books, it's fairly well represented in the game, and it is fun to play. I, I keep saying that once I've had my fill of, of WoW... Um, And especially with my son having canceled his subscription just recently, I'm either going back into Star Trek or, sorry, not Star Trek, Star Wars or DC Universe Online to get through some of these chapters that I've missed out on. Um, This is pretty cool because apparently it is one of their biggest not i don't I, I don't think it's the biggest but one of their biggest chapters that they put out since launch it's fairly huge and i watched about an hour of the gameplay of it and when they did their 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 not their intro video to it but their dev speak video atlantis is fucking huge and because they understand the nature of uh, underwater questing and things like that, it's not just that it's huge horizontally, but also vertically. And to the point where when you are in different um, expeditions or things like that, they're, they're solo adventures, missions and stuff, they tell you like, look up when you're there. Most play, players won't. But they were in one setting where they said, look up and show them what, what's there. And you look up from this, this this was, I think, one of their solo missions that they did. And there were these massive, beautiful statues, Atlantean statues, all over kind of thing. It, it f- felt very much for a moment like Little Mermaid when she looks up and there's all these gorgeous statues and shit all over to demonstrate the history of underwater life. That's what this felt like. It was except cooler, of course, Uh, but very, very neat. So when they were showing off, they were doing their little flyby to show what they were saying. Like, yes, we are actually just using our tool to to fly you around to show you Atlantis, but you can actually explore all of this, which kind of made me think of Spider-Man. Clearly, it's not going to be the same thing. It's not going to be as, as amazing. But the fact that all of that that they were showing us is explorable is actually really fucking cool. Like the, it, it cannot be overstated how amazing Atlantis looks to the point where there, there was a section where whales were swim, swimming by and swimming over. And uh, the creative director, I can't remember her name. Uh, I believe it's creative director. I, I don't fucking know her title. Important to this <laughs> this game. Uh, she was saying how, like, the whales mean so much to her. And so s- just seeing them in the game is profound. And it was. I'm looking at the stream and I'm going, that is gorgeous. So that's all really fucking cool. They had to introduce swimming, which wasn't in the game, which is, again, when you're looking at development of the game, huge. Um, The only problem is is that it doesn't always look natural, obviously. You need to be able to be propelled fast enough that you're not swimming at a normal pace because you'll get fucking bored and drown. Um, But even in terms of like when you're looking at combat, it felt more like flying than swimming. And so it kind of wasn't the perfect marriage, but it was close enough. You know, you give them some, some, some leeway there, especially considering this is just a fucking chapter added to the game. So you are working with Aquaman and with Mara, uh, primarily with Arthur, and it's one of those old stereotypes in terms of the... Uh, the comic books with Aquaman of the Atlanteans essentially revolting because the half-breed leader is spending far too much time on the surface world. And so there's that strife going on that he has to deal with, with Ocean Master and whatnot. What's cool is that they injected King Shark in this story because of the popularity that The Flash on TV um, added to the the character's cred essentially because now all of a sudden people are like, "That's a fucking cool character. I'd like to see more of that." He's uh, a talking shark. How can he not be cool? Exactly. And did you ever see the Flash episodes with King Shark? Nope, yes. I have not watched a single episode of the Flash. Fucking in hell. Oh my god, they're amazing. I much better than this because <laughs> they made this version of of King Shark a hammerhead shark which I don't think was the right choice because outstretched. That's really googly weird for eyes, a character. Yeah. Yet
2: I don't feel it fits. But wasn't he a hammerhead in one of the incarnations in the
3: comics? I don't know.
1: Was he? In one of them. Yeah. But there's a reason he typically isn't.
3: Yeah. It kind of looks weird, but I like, I dig the story behind it. Oh, because... he's currently a hammerhead. That's why. Oh, is he? Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Because he's the leader of, essentially, a again, they're called the Sea Changed uh, underneath. And basically, it's Atlanteans with human and marine life features. So, they might have, uh, like, lobster pinchers or different things. So, they're a blend. And while most, quote-unquote, purebred Atlanteans shun them, King Shark welcomes them into the fold and essentially is leading this gang of them. So I kind of really dig that and would like to see where that's going. And that's where DCU Online is shines because it allows you to play either as the hero or the villain. So when they were talking to the developers of this and the writers who were talking about, like if you are on the hero side, you're working with Arthur and Mare. Whereas if you are on the villains, you're working with Ocean Master and King Shark. And it's one of those rare circumstances where I'm going, fuck, I'd rather work with King Shark and Ocean Master because that sounds like a ton of fun. <laughs> but yeah, so you're dealing with that kind of stuff. It, it was very interesting. It was very cool in terms of the aesthetics that they used for underwater. The choices that they made for the swimming are one of those where it's like, well, you got to... You got to do something. This will work. But they also made it with the same kind of tropey comic book logic that is it's on the seabed floor, so you can just walk on the seabed floor also if you want to run (laughs) on it. You know, it's comic book tropes. And they were talking about that in terms of, well, how are people breathing? And it's, well, they have a tracker, a processor, some damn thing in their throat that allows them to breathe because they did not want, you to lose the aesthetics of your character because you're going to be spending a lot of time down there um so again don't mind that it's comic book logic uh we're going to see Aqualad lad in here as well which is kind of cool because they're bringing in the rebirth version so that's yet another twist on a character that they're bringing on this and they're also bringing in their own kind of villain's Um, which is uh, kind of a first for them where they were working with DC and saying they'd like to bring in their own canon stuff into it. And they are now. So there's some pretty cool stuff in it. Um, Not enough that this would be what gets me back, but enough that this is something that I will look forward to playing once I am back in the game. Because it justifiably looks pretty freaking cool. And that's from somebody who does not like underwater questing. I I hated the underwater questing stuff always in WoW unless I was on my Druid. So, But this looks like it might be cool. I'd I'd have to play to get a feel for how it feels underwater. But in terms of the story and whatnot, it, it sounds like it could be a lot of fun.
1: So just one quick question, is this Jason Momoa Aquaman or Super Friends Aquaman?
3: Um, ooh, definitely not Momoa. Definitely not. <laughs> like we're talking orange all right. Shell shirt and green pants kind of Aquaman. And I'm not lying. And I, I hate to do this when it's voice actors because I love them. Uh, but sometimes some voice actors, be it because of their themselves, their performances or the direction, sometimes come off as fairly wooden. And that's what it felt like for this character. And, and I mean, some of the other ones, yeah, that's the one, Joe. Um, some of the other ones, sorry, Joe posted something in Discord. Uh, <laughs> some of the other characters came off, like, ridiculously good, actually. But then some of them were like, e this kind of feels phoned in and sadly he was one of them which doesn't help because it's fucking Aquaman <laughs> and I'm sorry but other than Momo, when has Aquaman ever been cool
2: uh, Batman Lee Brave Lee and year... the Bold Justice League yeah. year one
3: he was not Justice Year later
2: when he was shutting down people's brains yes he was fucking cool then see
1: I think that's the thing like the voice actor might be terrible but I guess if you're a fish he comes across real well <laughs> <laughs> and on that folks we're going to put a wrap to this episode of for the lore thank you so much for tuning in you can find this and more all at our website for follow us on twitter for future updates as well at for the lore follow us individually roger is at zen buddhist marty is officer gleason joe is loader zj and i am Samodian. once again thank you for listening and we'll see you guys next week
0: Thank you for listening to For The Lore. If you'd like to hear more from the guys, check out Popcorn Ronin with Roger and Vince, a movie, TV, and anime podcast, as well as Lore Watch, a Blizzard lore podcast co-starring Joe. And if you're into comic books, check out All Comics Considered with Marty and his crew. Lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music. You can find him at manellijamal.com as well as on iTunes, and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs.